Hey there, and welcome to your weekly episode of I Didn't Sign Up For This with Allison Casanova and myself, Jade Shaw. We are both licensed marriage and family therapists here in the Bay Area of California. Whether you're a practitioner yourself or just interested in topics around mental health and therapy, join us here for some real and honest conversations. Please note that this podcast is not a replacement for therapy or medical advice. Any questions about your specific situation should be directed to your own therapist or primary care physician. Thank you for listening. Welcome back, everybody, to episode nine. This is the second part of our Understanding Trauma episode. So we have a lot of information to go over and get into today, so I'm just going to jump right into it. Last week, we talked about our experiences working with trauma. We kind of defined what trauma was based on a couple different sources. We went over some facts about trauma, and we also talked about the Adverse Childhood Experiences Study. So I would recommend if you haven't listened to the first part of this series to go do that first because some of the stuff that we talk about today might be better understood by listening to the first part of the episode. So um, with that being said, today we're going to talk about differentiating between sort of stereotypical situations that you might think of as traumatic versus ones that could actually be traumatic that people don't often consider, um, what people think trauma looks like versus what it actually looks like. We'll talk about PTSD and trauma in kids, and then we'll talk about how to deal with it and how to minimize the effect that it has on your life and your relationships. So a lot of big stuff today. So the first part of today's episode, we're going to start with the stereotypical situations versus sort of the actual situations that can be considered traumatic. So oftentimes people think about war, right? When we talk about PTSD, when we talk about trauma, I think a lot of people think of war as, you know, either the only thing that can lead to PTSD or sort of the primary reason that people suffer from PTSD. And I think that sometimes people can also think about abuse or maybe natural disasters, but even those I think aren't as widely considered. I don't know if you would agree, Allison. Yeah, I think I think for most people, when they think of PTSD, they think of war and then natural disasters aren't maybe as common or like a rape isn't maybe as common um, Mm -hmm. to think about. But those are also, you can have PTSD because of that. You can have it for a lot of different reasons, I think, that aren't maybe as obvious Mm -hmm. and it looks different in everybody. Yeah, absolutely. So... Just to sort of name a few that, in my experience, some of the other situations that could lead to either symptoms of PTSD or even diagnosable PTSD could be things like parents separating or shifts in the family, people moving, medical procedures, chronically stressful environments, like if you're working in a really high-stress environment, I've seen people experiencing symptoms that you would see in PTSD from situations like that, um, or even like kids who are experiencing bullies at school. Those are all things that could sort of lead to symptoms of PTSD or trauma. 
Because if you if you look back to, and I think we might have gone over the definition last time of what PTSD is defined by the DSM, it's it's not just having exposure to being injured and having like like a serious injury or like a serious death, but it could also be your perception of it. Mm -hmm. So if you feel like you are going to die because you're in some kind of situation or you feel like it's not something that you are able to cope with and it just feels really unsafe, you can kind of get into that space and experience some of the symptoms that would qualify you to have that particular label. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, I think this might even be better understood if we talk about the next part of this in terms of what people think trauma looks like versus what it actually looks like. So I think people, when they think about it, they normally think like, you know, nightmares or you know, if you hear something really loud, you're going to have that startle response that people avoid certain situations that kind of make them feel uncomfortable and maybe make these symptoms come up. And while that is very true, it is the, the this textbook idea of what people think it looks like. And I think in order to maybe understand the second piece and what it can also look like, we kind of have to understand why it happens. So when you think of your the way that your fight or flight system works, it's it's a balance system in your body. So if you look at your nervous system and I won't go into the different kinds, but like the different the on and the off and what the labels are, but it basically it regulates your body, right? It's involuntary it adapts, it happens when you're out of balance and you have symptoms that come up as a result. It's there to protect you. So you have one part that's activated and it increases your heart rate. It makes your blood pressure go up. It makes your muscles super tense. It makes your pupils dilate to focus on the threat that's in front of you. It makes your your digestive system kind of stop because it wants more energy to go to the other parts of your body that you need in order to fight. Um, Your kidneys, your liver, your gallbladder, all of those things are inhibited. So then you have the other part that kind of when this turns off and you're in a safe space, you have your digestive comes, your digest, I just cannot say that word today. Your digestive (laughs) system goes back on. Um, your circulation increases, your heart rate goes back to normal, your blood pressure goes back to normal, your pupils go back to normal, all of that stuff just kind of goes back. So you have like an on and an off almost to, to make it simpler. It also involves your immune system too. So when you have something that's like that, it's, it helps you be able to have more energy for your, like your extremities, like your hands, your feet, so that you can kind of keep running or fighting or whatever it is that you need to do. And so that's a good thing because if somebody is attacking you, you want that. You don't, you want your, your brain to kind of go in autopilot and you want it to be able to protect you. If you sit and you think, Like if somebody comes in and they have a gun and they're opening the door, you don't want to think, hmm, what are my options here? Because then it's going to be kind of 
kind of late, right? Like you want, you want that to happen. But the problem is that when you're in a position where you feel unsafe for a really long time and your system is on for a really long time, you end up getting behavioral symptoms and physical symptoms as a result of being in there for too long because this system was meant to be on for a dangerous situation and then turned off and when your system thinks it's in a dangerous situation all the time and you weren't really meant to live in that system all of the time you have all of these other symptoms as a result so you could so think about it if you aren't getting circulation the blood flow evenly across your body and so that means that you're maybe not getting it to your brain as much you aren't going to be able to think clearly so you're going to have a lot more you're going to have poorer focus and concentration you're going to have a hard time remembering things if your digestive system and all that stuff isn't necessarily getting the getting what it needs to be able to work properly, you are going to have stomach issues. You are going to be anxious and irritable and sad and withdrawn. And you're going to be kind of just constantly scanning the environment to make sure that you're okay, even if you don't realize it. So that means you're going to have low energy. You're going to have a really hard time sleeping. Um, so then what you're going to, you're also going to have a really hard time being able to think of the good things in your life. And you're going to have a really hard time being able to focus on those things. So then you're always looking at that negative piece um, because that's what's going to keep you alive. It's kind of looking at like worst case scenario. So I think those are the things that we don't often consider when we we're looking at being in that space. Yeah, exactly. Just that long-term effect that this sort of heightened arousal state has on your body, your brain. Again, like Allison said, it affects your digestion, your immune system, your memory. Basically, it looks like you know that you're in the present, but your brain doesn't. Your brain is kind of in that past situation still. So does that mean if you're having a stomach issue that you're in this? No, not not necessarily. (laughs) I'm just saying like when you have a lot of these all at the same time, it's it's kind of a good signifier. But if you just have like one or like you're having a hard time concentrating, that might not necessarily be the case. But it's just something to think about because I don't think it's it's something that's common knowledge. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. Like, again, like you said, people often think of the nightmares, the sort of exaggerated startle response, the avoidance of certain situations, and those do exist, but it there are a lot more aspects of trauma that sort of go under the radar and people often confuse it for anxiety, depression, ADHD, and we'll get into that a little bit more, but just to be aware that they, they look pretty similar. And something else I want just everybody who is listening to understand is if you are feeling like you are in this spot and you're starting to feel really bad about yourself, your body is doing what it's supposed to do Mm -hmm. when you're in this position. You just aren't meant to live in it. And Mm -hmm. I, I think sometimes it's difficult because your brain doesn't always understand the difference between, you know, accumulated stress that's really hard to deal with that, that you don't feel like you can cope with and Mm -hmm. over time and a really super dangerous situation. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, and this is another reason why I 
so frequently talk to my clients about the really close tie that your mental health and your physical health have. I, in working with clients with trauma and just talking to people, a lot of them have higher risk or are dealing with more medical issues. So we're talking diabetes, we're talking about um, just frequent illness, all, all kinds of things. And so I always encourage my clients to be talking to a mental health professional and a doctor if, you know, and seeing if those things are related at all, because I think trauma in particular has such a huge effect on your physical well-being as well. Um, and hopefully we've given you sort of a good idea as to why that would be. But in talking about these things, it may be a little bit easier to see why things like parents separating or shifts in the family, um, car accidents. I've even had people describe breakups as actually traumatic because you do have that sort of re-experiencing of the situation. You have that difficulty eating, that memory decline if, if you're sort of not processing that situation. So I think for me, the spectrum of situations that could be considered traumatic, it is so wide because any situation that is difficult that isn't being processed could have some of these effects. And I think that's the other difficult part too, because a lot of times people will avoid going in and getting help Mm -hmm. um, by a therapist because they don't want to revisit all of the things that are making them feel this way. And I actually think that it's a bad idea to go in and see a therapist and start talking about all of these things. Because if you don't have the ability to cope with it and you don't have those skills, you don't feel like it's something that you can manage going and talking about it is going to make it a lot worse. It's going to make it a lot harder. So the goal would then be finding a therapist that you can work with that on building those skills. So how, not what is bothering you and going into those details, but how, what happened and what you're going through is affecting you right now. How can you work on managing with it and getting to a safe place and feeling comfortable and feeling like you have the ability to work through it before you even tackle and process what all the components are? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I'm really glad that you brought that up because I think that a properly trained therapist will know how to sort of properly guide you through that whole process. Um, I actually think somebody trained in trauma, like trauma informed. I I think somebody that is trauma informed because I think a therapist that is properly trained will know a whole bunch of like general, it's just like a regular doctor, right? General practitioner. They're going to know like an idea on how to help you with like a variety of things. But if they don't understand trauma at, to that level, they're not going to be able to give you what you're needing. Yeah, no, no, no. That's exactly what I mean. A, a therapist that's properly trained in, in tra- trauma. trauma. Yes. Yeah. Because yeah. um, you can have a therapist that's properly trained that just doesn't understand trauma. Right. Yeah. 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 Thank you for specifying. Um, so, again, there's a, there's so much detail that we could sort of get into, but for the sake of time, Um, that's just a preview of 
the different sort of situations or the different um, ways that people can experience trauma in sort of a realistic outlook as opposed to just maybe what people generally think of or have generally heard. But another thing that we wanted to touch on was PTSD or trauma in kids because again most of my experience is working with kids or teens with trauma histories and it like I said in last week's episode or in the last episode it can look different than you would expect. And even as a therapist who, like we just said, was trained as a therapist, this all took me by surprise until I got more training and more experience with it and really learned to understand trauma. So this is a big deal to me because it's so misunderstood, I think. But oftentimes, PTSD or trauma in kids will look like ADHD. These are the kids who Um, get frequent calls home because they're not focused, because they're getting into trouble, because they're having difficulty in relationships with other kids, because they're being aggressive. Not to say that any one of those things means this child has a trauma history, but when I hear these things, they're definitely clue-ins for me to assess further. So I think something to keep in mind is if you are getting help and a therapist is asking you if there's like any big events or anything that's been difficult that has happened, it's always important to, to kind of give them a little bit more of an understanding. You don't have to go into details, but just some kind of background because it could, it could definitely, you could get the wrong diagnosis because they don't understand all of the details. And so they might treat it differently because if you look at it, I mean, a lot of the symptoms for some of the diagnoses are very similar, like ADHD and PTSD are very, very similar. Um, and they're going to look different in kids versus adults. And so if you have the extra understanding and knowledge of what is going on that maybe you wouldn't have thought was that big of a deal to tell a therapist um, or tell whoever um, is giving you that help, they'll be able to tweak the, the way that they're treating you and helping you get through the symptoms and manage them. It, it might be a different approach just because of the diagnosis. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and even the way that this child is getting support in the classroom or um, I think the way that they're sort of understood could be a little bit different. Mm-hmm. So I could go on a whole tangent about that. But I think the idea here is that we really want to be looking at these symptoms and these behaviors and thinking, okay, is this ADHD or could there be some event that is contributing to these behaviors and this sort of way that this child is relating to their environment. So Allison, it looked like you were going to say something. I was going to say like, and realistically, I mean, a diagnosis is just fair to understand the symptoms and how to support you in them. And I know sometimes a label doesn't really necessarily feel very good. And sometimes you might not realize that something is important in getting the diagnosis. So you don't, you don't include it. And that's, that's okay. Cause I think after a therapist or a psychologist or a psychiatrist or whoever is treating you continues to work with you, those things will come out and it might change. So you're still going to get the help that you're needing. It just, 
I mean, a label is just a label. It doesn't really mean anything. It's always changing depending on your situation. So um, don't don't feel like it's like a death sentence if you get like one specific label. I've seen people be diagnosed with autism and actually come to find out later on it's not that at all, something completely different. So it kind of just depends. Yeah, I think for me, differentiating between say on this topic, ADHD and PTSD is the treatment approach, right? And how I'm, if I'm coordinating with, say, the school, how I'm going to sort of help them navigate the situation and work with this child. Right. But yeah, definitely, it's tough not to get caught up in that diagnosis. But at the end of the day, it's more just a guideline for treatment. Mm-hmm. Um, so just to sort of explain a little bit why so often these kids are sort of called like the bad kids in school or the misbehaved kids. A lot of this is because, you know, the way that we addressed it in the last episode and how Allison just described the way that our brains are responding to trauma. These kids, often their brain doesn't know that they're safe for one. So they're constantly sort of reacting to something that their brain might be thinking is a dangerous situation. So of course, that's going to make it hard to focus, right? It's going to make it hard to engage with other kids or other people. And then we talked about this briefly before, but just the way that kids' brains develop and how that's sort of disrupted when trauma occurs, they might not have that self-regulation, right? You might be setting rules And it's not that they're intentionally disobeying those rules, but they literally don't know how to regulate themselves, how to sort of downplay their behaviors or their go-go-go response. I think this is hard for children and for parents, right? Because the parents are wanting the kids to do something and the child hasn't really learned how to do that. And the parents sort of thinking, well, they're 10 years old. They should know how to listen to me and pick up their room, right? So that can be really difficult, but, and same thing in the classroom. So I think just having a better understanding is really helpful in people being able to sort of set their expectations in an appropriate, realistic way. No, this is good too. And I think this is why understanding the reason behind the behavior is so important because if you have somebody that has ADHD, PTSD, autism, Uh, process some kind of processing disorder most of the time they are not doing it on purpose right they just don't understand how to manage how to manage their impulses or whatever it is that's going on that they're struggling with Mm -hmm. yeah I mean I understand this is a lot of information um, and it's such a big deep topic and there's just so many different roads that we could go down with it but I, I think that the sort of overall takeaway from this part of it is that PTSD can be confused with a lot of other diagnoses. And really the idea in having that label to begin with is to have a better understanding of where that person is at in terms of how we can help treat that, right? How we can address it. The other thing, too, that we need to differentiate is in the last episode, we were talking about how you can have um, like what the definition of of PTSD is and then what the like overall definition of trauma is. Mm -hmm. 
And I think if you look at it, PTSD has a very specific set of symptoms that you need to meet the criteria for in order to have it be a diagnosis. So you could have ADHD, you could have depression, you could have generalized anxiety, social anxiety, and still have what is going on with you be because your fight or flight system is maybe off. Mm-hmm. Um, so it could be because of trauma, but maybe you don't fit all of the, the criteria because in our uh, manual that we use to, to diagnose and treat people, that is probably one of the only diagnoses that is trauma-based, which is mm-hmm. super unfortunate because you could have some of these things and have it be because of trauma and then have it not be because of trauma. And they're probably going to be treated similarly, but they're going to have a different twist to it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I am always sort of on the lookout for trauma because I totally agree with that, that I think you could have sort of a primary thing that you're dealing with and have the underlying cause be because of a traumatic event. And I think something to note too that makes it a little bit more confusing is that the traumatic event might not be directly correlated with your current experience or your current symptoms, right? So just because you're afraid of a balloon doesn't mean you suffered something traumatic with a balloon, right? So again, it's a very complex topic, but and the other difficult thing too is you could have an event that is really big and traumatic and difficult to cope with and not develop anything because your fight or flight system was meant to turn on and then turn back off so it's meant to protect you and then come back down so if you have the pathways in your brain to be able to to feel like you can cope and manage and work through it then you'll be in that space and then you'll come out of it and you'll move on functioning the way you were functioning before it's when your brain doesn't have those set of skills it never learned how to cope or regulate in a way that is healthy and conducive to you managing all of the symptoms that you're feeling because of what happened so it could be one really super big event it could be a whole bunch of really small events it could be anything and if you're not feeling able to cope with it and you don't feel like you have any support then you kind of that's when you kind of start to spiral into staying in that space and keeping those symptoms so just because something happens doesn't mean you will but normally if you do develop it it's because of a situation like that it's not just because of nothing so now that we have spoken a lot about understanding maybe what it looks like to a deeper extent. How do you deal with it? How do you manage it? How do you get to that spot? So identifying things that do help you calm down is going to be important. So what grounds you? And I I know sometimes there's some confusion between what is, what is grounding? What is self-care? What is coping? What is all of that? Isn't it all the same thing? Grounding is when you start to get to a place where you're feeling super overwhelmed and you're, it's almost like if you think about it like a scale of one to 10 and 10 is like the most intense and one is like your baseline. That's like, you know, where you're calm. When you start getting to that territory where it's like a seven, eight, nine, ten, 10, it, it, you are now in that fight or flight space and you're not able to 
to have access to the part of your brain that's going to kind of help you think a little bit more clearly. So if you can identify where you are and calm down before you get there using those techniques, that's grounding. So whatever, there's so many different things that people use. Sometimes people will do something I think the really a really popular one is the five senses one where you could label five things that you can see, four things you can touch, three things you can smell, two things that you can hear, that's what it is, and one thing you can taste. I always say taste is the last one because normally there's not a lot of things around that you can taste. <laughs> I I usually just tell my clients three, so Three things you can see, two you can hear, one you can smell. Ah, so you do the, the three, two, one. So you mm-hmm. could do whatever works better for you, right? Um, some people can do like a visual and think of a place that makes them feel really calm. Um, some some place they really like to go, whether it's real or imaginary. Um, some people like doing the breathing. Um, so there's lots of different ways to do it. Just don't go right into it because then you're going to hyperventilate and we don't want that. That's just going to make everything worse. So um, one that I like to use is I call it a 411 technique. It's really easy to remember. That's why I use it. So it's you breathe in for four, you hold for three, and you breathe out for four. So it's 11. <laughs> <laughs> That's a lot of math. <laughs> <laughs> 11 when you add it. Um, but you could do 4, 3, 4, right? Some people say breathe in for 4, hold for 5, breathe out for, for 6. So 4, 5, 6. Um, the whole point is just to make sure that you're holding it and you're letting it go. You're not you're not hyperventilating. So when you're doing that, you're not only distracting yourself, but you're getting more oxygen to your brain. So it's calming down your muscles so they're not tensing up. Um, so there's lots of different ways to do it. And so trying to figure that out on your own or working with a therapist, identifying what things do trigger you, what does make you feel uncomfortable. And, you know, if you're in a space where you have to avoid it right now before, until you can develop those, those ways of coping, then that's what you need to do. Um, if you can't, and they're not avoidable, then coming up with a plan on how to tackle it when it is in front of you, noticing the patterns and the situations that do kind of spark those intense emotions, whether it's fear or anger or upset, and also making sure you're talking to friends, you have people around you that are a really good support network. I think if you are making sure that you're taking care of yourself, so getting enough food, um, getting enough sleep, because we talked in previous episodes too, like when those aren't um, taken care of, your whole, I mean, it just kind of intensifies all of those emotions even more. And making sure that you're continuing to have a routine of things that you do that you like. So making sure that, you, if you really do like going on walks, if you really do like a certain show and you want to keep watching it, um, if you like a sport, making sure you're still engaging in that. I think 
sometimes people will say, you know, well, how, how much do I have to do? And, you know, it's not really working. I'm still upset. I'm still having a hard time. It's not making it go away. It's just having moments where you get to do things that are really fun and you get like a moment of reprieve from all of the stuff that's going on in your brain that's going to keep you in a space where it's you're more grounded and you're more able to manage it. I feel yeah. like I just threw a lot at you guys. Do you have anything you want to add? <laughs> no, you stole it all already. <laughs> I'm sorry. I kind of just went just on a kidding. tangent. <laughs> no, that's okay. Um, <laughs> no, I think that's a really good list. Um, I Again, I think to look at the idea here is to get your brain sort of in the current moment instead of letting it resort back to that past experience, that past event, that past environment. Um, cause again, it wants to protect you. And so it's often reacting as if it's in that past situation. So trying to get your brain back to the current situation, back to that current environment. I think that's when those grounding techniques really help. I will say with imagery, I would be careful doing that on your own because you want to be careful not to lose yourself in that imagery and sort of fall back into memories of that traumatic situation and, and end up reliving those, right? So I think that's a really helpful one, but I would caution you to be careful with that or to seek out a therapist who can practice that with you before you go and do it on your own, um, just to make sure that you have the coping skills to use before you jump into that or you sort of know how to do it. It is a good point. I think everybody has different things that work for them. And if that is one that, um, that's one that's a little bit more, um, maybe requires a little bit more help and it could be more difficult if you do it on your own. The other thing I want to add is if you are in that space already where you're at a seven and eight, a nine or a 10, this is not going to help. So, <laughs> you are already there. You're not going to be able to calm yourself down. So I make, I make this a point because I do hear that a lot. I hear it a lot from parents more than anybody else. You know, well, you know, we're trying to use our skills, but you're, if you're already in that space, you got to write it out. So help them don't say anything, right? Don't continue to talk because they're not going to be able to process it. Um, don't try and, you know, help them, um, I think if you say something like, you know, you're really upset, let's do your five senses. That's just going to make it a lot worse. It's going to spiral down. So just keeping in mind, like sometimes people just need space to kind of just be in it and write it out. And then once they calm down, that's how you're become more aware of what happened. So going back and processing, like, what was it that triggered me? How did I get there? Where was I when it happened? Did I have room to be able to use those skills before I got there? And then it's kind of just like a work in progress, catching yourself before you get to that spot. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think one of the things that I have sort of on the list of things to go over is a lot of this depends on knowing yourself too, and taking that time to know what works for you. For some people, like you said, nothing that you can say at that point is going to be helpful and it's about writing it out. For others, you know, if you have like 
of trusted person that is with you, it's helpful to for that person to know, okay, the best thing for me to do to sort of draw this person out of that is to calmly say their name over and over again to like bring them back to reality, right? So it's about knowing yourself and maybe knowing the people that you're with and knowing what is helpful for you or for them, right? Because some people, you know, if you give them a hug uh-huh. or if you just sit with them, uh-huh. don't say anything and you're just there with them, that's going to help. And for other people, you just got to leave them alone. Yeah, I'm really glad that you said that specifically because that is one thing that is really important for a lot of kids who have been in traumatic situations or are coming from an abusive household. Touch is very, very different for them um, in each one individually, right? So some are going to be really nervous about touch and really sort of averse to it. And others are really going to need that sensory input, right? So I've worked with both types of kids where one might love being rolled up in a blanket or like being squeezed on the arms and other kids just are not having it, right? So to know your kid and know what is comforting for them or the person that you're with. Um, But yeah, touch is like very particular, I think. So I'm glad that you brought that up. So beyond sort of addressing it ourselves, one thing that comes up a lot is how this affects your relationship with other people and how this can sort of seep into your other interactions. So we wanted to talk about how to keep your sort of experience of trauma from affecting your relationships and from affecting those around you. And so I'm going to start with kind of a broad statement, but Allison, I don't know if you would totally agree with this. Feel free to add your own perspective. But I think that the best way is going to be to understand your triggers and understand your patterns and knowing your needs, because the better that we can understand our own triggers, our own needs and our own patterns, the more we can separate those from the sort of external stimuli, right? So we might be in a situation with somebody and we're feeling ourselves getting sort of worked up and we're feeling maybe defensive or we're starting to get angry or we're starting to get sad and we're feeling like it's because of the other person. And so the more we can step back and say, wait a minute, no, this is my experience. This is my past experiences coming up for me that's causing these feelings. The more that we can sort of keep ourselves in check and allow ourselves the break to not respond reactively to that other person or that other situation. Yeah, and I think really just to be, I mean, I know when you're in that spot, you don't want it to affect the people that are around you and you don't want it to cause issues, but the reality is that it will because people that are in relationships with you care about you, and so it's going to affect them. And I think the the thing that's going to help the most is to identify the people that you do feel comfortable with, right? Because you don't want to do this with people you don't feel comfortable with. And it's okay to let them know when you are having a hard time and let them help you. And that doesn't mean that you have to tell them what's going on. It doesn't mean that you have to give them details. But if you are triggered and you are having a hard time, it's okay to tell them that, you're struggling right now, even if you don't want to talk about it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, I think it's a process in getting to know yourself. You're not going to be in a situation and think, okay, you know, is this me or is this them? And 
have a great answer right then and there. It's sort of a process. It's a learning curve of understanding, okay, these are the situations that normally get me upset and being able to look at that and and better understand what's coming up for you. And there are going to be people that you'll encounter that are going to bring these up, these things up for you. And at that point, it's helpful to be able to say, okay, this is my stuff and this is my sort of opportunity to practice that self-control, to sort of retrain my brain and how to respond to these situations, to engage in these grounding techniques and teach myself how to come back into the present situation. But the more that we can better understand the situations that bring up these emotions for us, the better we can handle them in the moment and the better that we can sort of predict when they might come up. But I totally agree with being able to identify some people that you trust or people that are supportive and sort of allowing them to help you through this, right? Even the people that you're closest to are going to bring up stuff for you in certain situations and being able to be sort of open with them and with yourself about what it is you're experiencing and identifying what it is that you need in that situation. And I think, I mean, our brain automatically is going to think, you know, they don't care. They don't want to help. They don't want to understand. You kind of have to let yourself acknowledge that if they really didn't care and they really didn't want to be there, they wouldn't. They would be somewhere else. So making sure that you're recognizing the people that are there and how they can help you and what's going to feel the most comfortable to you for them to be able to support you. And I think there are all kinds of workbooks out there where you can kind of help yourself identify the triggers and um, look at different ways of grounding that can kind of help you along the way. And while I don't think that it is a replacement for getting therapeutic support from a therapist, Um, it could be a really good adjunct and it could help you if you're not feeling like you're ready to go there just yet. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a good suggestion. I think too, another thing that people have found helpful is to have sort of a plan in place, right? Knowing if you're going to be spending time with people that kind of annoy you or you typically feel certain emotions coming up when you're with them, planning ahead of time, okay, when I start to feel this way, I'm going to say that I need to get some water and excuse myself to the kitchen and take a breather in there. Or, you know, when I notice that this certain topic is coming up, I'm going to wink at the person that I came with and that'll be our cue that it's time for us to go. Or being in some way able to plan ahead for how you might respond to certain situations. Sorry, I'm winking at you. Allison is winking at me right now. (laughs) That's our cue to go. We'll see you guys later. (laughs) This is reminding me of um, our episode on boundaries. I think it's okay to say no. I know sometimes it's really hard to say no. And especially if it's family members and you're feeling obligated to be around these people. But... You deserve to feel comfortable. And if you're going to be around somebody who brings out the worst in you, you have the ability and you deserve to say no. Yeah, absolutely. That's perfect that you said that because 
I have that very episode sort of bookmarked in my notes for this podcast because I think that they are so closely related and so important to be thinking about boundaries and looking at boundaries when you're working on some of these these things. And, you know, there's so many people who are managing really complex situations like trauma within families and then you have to spend, say, the holidays with those families, right, and how to manage that. And again, I just really encourage people to understand what your patterns are, what things consistently get to you. I think those are going to be like two really important things. And before you even get to that, identifying your tools that help you calm down and come back to the present. Um, I wouldn't suggest to anybody doing any of these things before you've identified things that can help you come back down from that sort of hypervigilant state or panic state or anxiety, whatever it might be that you're experiencing, know what is going to help you or who you can go to if you start to feel like that, that can help bring you back down. But yeah, I mean, take some, some time when you've identified those things that are going to, you know, those coping skills, take some time and think, okay, what situations really get to me? What people really get to me? And start thinking about why you know maybe it's maybe it's related to some past trauma that you've experienced if you feel like there is trauma that you're you haven't been able to process yet and then that in my experience has been really instrumental in being able to be sort of objective with what you're experiencing and saying okay i've thought about it i know that in these situations i start to get angry and impulsive and so i know now that that's my response and i can I can work on stopping that pattern. You make it sound so easy. Well, I mean, trauma is easy, right? It's clearly the easiest. No big deal. <laughs> so easier said than done. Yeah. Give yourself a break. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, in all of these scenarios and all of these situations, it's going to be so important to have compassion with yourself. It's not an easy thing to overcome. It's not an easy thing to process, right? It's difficult. So be patient with yourself and have have some compassion for yourself. If you're finding it challenging to identify your own patterns, it might be helpful to find somebody that you trust and that you're open to talking with about this and say, hey, have you noticed any scenarios that are coming up where you notice I'm consistently getting agitated or I'm consistently sad after this interaction or after this environment? And seeing if they're able to help you identify any of these patterns. And again, I would do this with a person that you trust, not just anybody, right? So somebody that you can really sit down and have this honest conversation with. So if you have any other questions or feel like you want to know more about any of the things that we talked about, please leave us a comment or reach out to us. And uh, we could probably do another episode and answer some more questions that are coming up for all of you. But for... The tips of the day, my tip is going to be at least one time a day, just take a few seconds and sort of listen to your body, tune in and ask yourself what you are feeling in that moment. Are you carrying any tension in your shoulders? Are you carrying any tension in your hands? Is your stomach feeling kind of queasy? Just doing sort of a quick body scan and identifying how you are actually feeling in that moment. I think it's so important. We've spent a lot of this episode talking about being able to sort of bring our brains and bring our bodies back into this present moment. Um, And so the more that we practice being able to do that, the better our brain knows how to do it 
sort of when it needs to. So mine is going to tag along with um, jeans. I think that sometimes if you aren't in touch with your body, it's really hard to be able to identify where your tension is and what is going on with it. So something that you could do that's going to kind of help you check in also is taking a moment and figuring out where you are on that scale. Am I at a one? Am I at a five? Am I at a seven? What do I need when I am at a seven versus a five? Because I think that's also going to help you bring more awareness to what's going on. And it's going to help you identify the triggers too. Because if you're at a five and then you can, you can identify ways to help you calm down, you can kind of check in and see, okay, so where I was out of five, but why? Like what just happened to get me there? And is there something I was thinking about? Is there something that just happened? Um, was it something that was said in a conversation? So I think that might help you be able to get to the place where you could kind of check what's going on in your body if you, if you aren't there yet. Yeah, absolutely. I love how those two go together and both so important and I think super relevant to this topic. So start with those. And again, just as kind of a quick recap, identify some helpful coping skills, identify some helpful people in your life. And then after you've done that, start looking at your patterns or people or environments that bring up certain things for you and try and sort through those and separate them from other things that you're experiencing. So you kind of know what's what. And again, any comments, questions, or follow-up info that you want, leave a comment. And we are now available on CastBox primarily, so you can subscribe there and you'll get notified of any upcoming episodes and we can get your comments a little easier that way. So until next time, take it easy and we'll chat with you on episode 10. Bye!